Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. It is so good to have you along. Hey, Lewis. Good morning, Dale and Teresa and Wesley. Edgar. Good afternoon, Rob in uh, England, right? Uh, Wesley asked if I use Logos. No, I use uh, Accordance Bible. I've actually never used Logos, 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 however you want to say it. Um, heard a lot of good things about it. I understand for resources, it's a pretty, pretty wonderful program. Um, I like, I like accordance a lot for, uh, for the work I do. So that's what I use. All right. So we are in Romans chapter 10 and we're going to see here how Paul is now reading the old Testament. When he goes back and he reads, especially the law and the prophets, which that's most, most everything, right? Um, but today, we're specifically, we're going to see the law where he reads it now pointing to the Messiah. So important that we see that. Uh, so there's been um, a little more response uh, in the comments lately. I don't know if you've noticed, but since Israel is in many of the titles and with all that's going on in Israel right now, and of course, for those from a dispensational background, uh, they're all excited, thinking this is maybe ushering in the end, um, which I don't think so at all, because I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But they're, they see the title, and they oftentimes are just commenting on my title. It's pretty obvious I haven't watched the, uh, the video. Anyway, uh, I'm starting to get a little more response of people who want to uh, take the Old Testament very literally. The problem is that is not how the New Testament reads the Old Testament. So we're going to see that today. So we're going to go back to the end of chapter 9 just to catch the context to see uh, what Paul is getting at here. So chapter 9, verse 30 says, What then will we say? That nations who are not pursuing righteousness attained to righteousness and righteousness, righteousness that is out of faith. All right, so the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they're not pursuing righteousness, at least as nations, but some of them, like the Romans, attained to righteousness because they believed the gospel, faith. In contrast, and this is one of the things I don't like about the literal standard version that I've been using, uh, the Greek word day can mean and. It's a conjunction. Most of the time, I think it means but. Not this, but that. And they keep translating the and, which misses the contrast. The nations attain to righteousness, but Israel. So if you hear me say but when it says and here, that's because I'm preferring the uh the adversative aspect of the conjunction. Anyway, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at the law. Uh, another thing I don't like about the LSV here is it has righteousness twice because it is using the uh, uh, the text, the uh, the text, Texas Receptus. And I don't think those are the best manuscripts, but if you have the King James, it'll have righteousness twice. The rest of your translations won't. Rob says, what about however? Yeah, very rarely. You should default to but unless um, 
Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Uh, maybe I prefer, but, <laughs> okay. So the, so Israel did not arrive at righteousness by because they were pursuing the law of righteousness. Okay. Why? Because not by faith or out of faith. And here is not day. It's Allah, which is a strong adversative. Rather, they were pursuing it as though of works. They stumbled at the stone of stumbling, as it is written in Isaiah. And we, we looked at this yesterday. The Messiah is the stumbling block, and Israel tripped over him. Paul says, Brothers, my, the, the pleasure indeed of my heart and my supplication that is to God for Israel is for salvation. For I bear them testimony, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. The, the Jews, the Israelites, were zealous for God, at least for the law, but they, they were ignorant of what the law did and how to be actually righteous. For not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. Uh, Curtis asks, righteousness of the law could be classified as self-righteousness? Well, yes and no. Um, Jesus kept the law, right? And he was righteous. We wouldn't call his righteousness a self-righteousness. So if someone kept the law with pure motives, then that's, that's right. That's good. But maybe you're asking, and certainly what happened was the Jews, in order to, uh, in order to not be condemned by the law, they had to twist and conform the law to make it such that they were righteous. So therefore, yes, they were self-righteous. Dale says, the MacArthur sanctified version has but and doesn't use the TR. Edgar's excited that he doesn't need to learn Greek. No, yeah, very good. Very good. All right. So it's important to see here. The Jews did not know the righteousness of God. They twisted the law around to convince themselves they were keeping it. And they missed God's righteousness from what the law was intended to do. And Paul explains what that is here in verse 4. For, he says, the Messiah is an end of law for righteousness to everyone who is believing. This word end, some of you have heard me stress this before. Uh, Edgar, Dale. Uh, okay, Dale, does the MacArthur sanctified version have end here? It is the word telos. And in Greek, telos is, uh, is not so much end like the, the stopping of something. But the reason something stops is because it has achieved the goal. So when you think of telos, you should think more of the goal than simply the end. He's not simply saying the law is done because of Christ. The, the law just stops. It's Christ is the goal. The Messiah was the end game, the end goal of the law for righteousness. 
Edgar says completion. Is that what uh, the uh, the legacy standard version has? Completion is is okay, except it still it doesn't necessarily communicate the achievement of a goal. Complete can mean the way we use it. Simply, it's it's been completed and it's over now. Paul's point is: see, the Jews did not know the righteousness of God. They didn't understand that the law's goal was to get to the Messiah. How do you get righteous by the law? You get to the Messiah. And who receives the righteousness of the Messiah? Everyone who is believing. Which he's been saying all along, right? So now he's going to quote from the Old Testament and explain how this works. For Moses describes the righteousness that is of the law that, quote, the man who did them will live in them. The emphasis here is did. And he's quoting here from Leviticus 18. God says, you are to perform my judgments, keep my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. You want to live? Do the law. So Paul here is saying that Moses describing the righteousness of the law is all about didding, <laughs> doing. How can you be righteous by the law? You keep it. Just what he said in chapter two. The problem is no Jew is going to be justified by the deeds of the law because no one deeded them. <laughs> no one did them. Right? But the righteousness of faith in this way, thus speaks. Okay, so the righteousness of the law is about doing. The righteousness of faith says this. All right, so now he's going to quote from Deuteronomy 30. Uh, actually, going to start in Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9. This is when they are about to enter the promised land. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater than you. He talks about how big they are and how God is going to give them victory. Uh, know, therefore, today it is that the Lord is going to uh, go before you as a consuming fire. Do not say in your heart. So when you enter the promised land, Israel, do not say in your heart, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But rather, it's because of the wickedness of the nations. Moses is telling the Israelites on the front end of going into the promised land, you're not getting in there because you're righteous. You're going in because the nations are wicked. It is not for your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going in, but because of the wickedness of these nations. Know then it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this land. Three times he says that. Well, Paul grabs that opening line, you may not say in your heart or do not say in your heart. So why does he quote that from, uh, from Deuteronomy 9? Because the Jews would have understood, the Jews in the audience here in Rome would have understood, he's reminding them, your inherent righteousness is not the reason for your blessings. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 30. So who knows what happens in Deuteronomy 28? 
What's Deuteronomy 28 all about? Edgar and Dale, I'm trying to remember if you had, yeah, you had a, you had a course or two at NCST where we looked at length at Deuteronomy 28. Anybody remember? Anybody following along know what Deuteronomy 28 is all about without, uh, without looking it up? It's an extremely important chapter in the law. Uh, it's the blessings and curses of the covenant. Yeah, Sunday Life got it. Very good. The curses and blessings. And Moses lays out very specifically and graphically the uh, wonderful blessings the Jews would receive if they kept the law and then the uh, sobering devastation God would bring on them if, uh, if they disobeyed. So that's chapter 28. 29, uh, whoops, uh, Moses goes on and explains more about what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to rebel. God will bring them back, that kind of thing. So then we get to chapter 30. He's continuing the dialogue here. He says, and it has been when all these things come on you, the blessing and the reviling. So they're going to experience the blessing of the curses and the blessing and the curses. See, I just <laughs> looked at Dale's comment here, the blurses. <laughs> How quickly my mind processed that and I, uh, I uh, blurred them. That's funny. All right. When all these things come on you, the blessings and the reviling, which I have set before you, Moses says, and you have brought them back to your heart among all the nations to where your God Yahweh has driven you away. So you're going to break the covenant. God's going to disperse you in the lands and you've turned back to your God Yahweh and listened to his voice according to all that I'm commanding you today, you and your sons with all your heart, with all your soul. Then your God Yahweh has turned back to your captivity and pitied you. Indeed, he has turned back and gathered you out of all the peoples to where God Yahweh has scattered you. Now you notice here the, uh, the version I'm reading from has past tense. It's because of the tense that occurs here in the Hebrew. It's a, it's, it's, um, it probably has a future sense, but it's, uh, oh, I'm not going to get into all that. Anyway, it's, it, if you're reading a version that has a future tense, that's, that's a correct understanding, even if the, uh, the words themselves are a uh, past tense, all right? If your outcast is in the extremity of the heavens, your God Yahweh gathers you from there and he takes you from there. Right? Even if God drives you to the farthest heavens, God's going to go get you and bring you back. And your God, Yahweh, has brought you into the land which your fathers have possessed, and you've inherited it, and he has done, good, done you good and multiplied you above your fathers. And your God, Yahweh, has circumcised your heart. So he is talking about the future when God will circumcise their heart. Now, earlier in Deuteronomy... And all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, God continues to tell the Jews, you need circumcised hearts. But there is a prediction here that someday God is going to go get the rebellious Jews, bring them back to the land and circumcise their heart, which Paul says in chapter two happens with the gospel. And that's not just for Israel but for Gentiles as well, although the, the concept of circumcised heart is a Jewish concept. 
He circumcised your heart and the heart of your seed to love your God, Yahweh, with all your heart, with all your soul, for the sake of your life. And your God, Yahweh, has put all this oath on your enemies and those hating you who have pursued you. And you turn back and have listened to the voice of Yahweh and have done all his commands, which I'm commanding you today. And your, your God, Yahweh, has made you abundant in every work of your hand, the fruit of your body, the fruit of your livestock. These are all the uh, blessings of the covenant. Uh, Yahweh turns back to rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. For you listen to the voice of God, Yahweh, to keep his commands, his statutes, which are written in the scroll of this law. For you turn back to God with all your heart, with all your soul. For this command, which I'm commanding you today, it is not too wonderful for you, nor is it far off. Some of your translations, I think, have, uh, well, what's the NAS have? Uh, it's not too difficult for you. This command which I command you today is not too difficult for you. It's not far off. Now, if you've been raised and steeped in systematic theology, you have a hard time with that statement. God is saying, or Moses is saying, the commands are not that hard. Is it really that hard not to make an idol or to serve a false god? Is it that hard to rest on the Sabbath day? I mean, how hard is it not to kill somebody? How hard is it not to sleep with your neighbor's wife? How hard is it not to take people's stuff, stuff that doesn't belong to you? This is not that hard, this command. It's not far off. It's not in the heavens. I'm not, I'm not saying the way for you to be blessed, Israel, is to go up into the heavens to get this law in order that you may be blessed. Who goes up to the heavens for us and takes it for us and causes us to hear it that we may do it. Someone go and get this law and bring it and make us hear it so we can do it and be blessed. No, that's not the case. It's not beyond the sea. Saying who passes over beyond the sea for us and takes it for us and causes us to hear it that we may do it. You don't, need to, you don't need somebody to go get in a ship and, and sail off for fathoms of fathoms or leagues and leagues, and bring it back and force us. No, it's, this law is right here. The word is very near. It's in your mouth. You are actually saying the words of the law. It's in your heart. And remember, heart in the Old Testament is more like mind. It's in your mind. You know this. See, today I have set before you life and good and death and evil. Choose, Israel, choose. Which one? You can obey and be blessed. You can disobey and be cursed. It's not that hard. It's not far off. You don't need somebody to do that. So Paul reads that, and he now understands that the goal of that law and the righteousness by the Ten Commandments, for instance, was always for the purpose of getting to the Messiah. And that's how he interprets it. So you see how this ties in everything we've been saying, or that Paul's been saying? The law is not that hard. It is not that hard to keep from murdering someone unless you're a slave to sin, which is what the Jews were, Romans 7. They were enslaved to sin. They were under the condemnation and influence of the law with their 
uh, enslavement to sin, and now they couldn't keep from committing adultery and murder and picking up sticks on the Sabbath and so on. So it was hard because they were enslaved. The commands themselves are not very hard. And now we understand the law was given in the grand scheme of things, in, in, the, in the flow of the whole story. Yes, the law held out blessings for the Jews, but its ultimate purpose was to show them you are enslaved to sin. You need forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to keep God's commands. And the Jews twisted it around into something they thought they were righteous when they weren't keeping the law. So Paul interpreting the law now as a, as a pointer to the Messiah says this, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. You may not say in your heart who will bring or who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Messiah down. The, the, the righteousness of faith says you don't have to go get the Messiah. He's already come down. Or who will go down to the abyss, the sea? Who will go across the sea to get him and, and bring him up out of the dead? You don't have to do that because God already did. The Messiah is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You don't need to go get Messiah and bring him down. You don't need to raise him from the dead. God has already done that. The righteousness of faith says the Messiah has already come. He's, he's descended and he is risen from the dead. And if you believe that, then you will be righteous. What does it say? The saying is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Quoting again from Deuteronomy 30. And now Paul says, that is the saying of the faith that we preach. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. That if you may confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you understand and, and avow that Jesus is the Lord and may believe in your heart, mind, that God raised him out of the dead, you will be saved. So instead of reading the law and thinking I can be righteous by that law, the Jew is supposed to say, I cannot, I am not righteous according to that law. But God has sent the Messiah and raised him from the dead. He is my Lord. I confess, I, I announce, I proclaim Jesus is my Lord. And I believe that he did die and God raised him from the dead. And therefore I am righteous. And I'll be saved from his wrath. I'll be saved from death through resurrection life. That's how Paul now is reading the Old Testament law. Uh, Rob says, so this is the issue the rich young ruler had. It was not because he had riches and would not part with them, but because he missed Christ in the law. Yeah, I would say, um, 
I see it a little differently than that. If you remember when he when when Jesus says, obey the commands and you will have life, and the the ruler says, I've done all that. Jesus didn't dispute him. Right? He didn't say, No, you didn't. Now the reformed commentators when he tells him to go sell all he has, they will tell you, see, he's, what Jesus is doing is showing you that he didn't actually um, obey the first commandment. That he didn't love the Lord above others. He loved his money more. And he's just exposing that he didn't keep the law. I don't think that's what's going on at all. Jesus did not say, no, you haven't kept the law. He said, fine, if you want life, go sell all you have and follow me. because he was calling him to confess Jesus as Lord. And young man, if you really see me as Lord, then you'll do what I tell you to do. And I'm telling you, sell all your possessions and come follow me. All right, great. You've kept the law. All right, I'm not going to dispute that. But I'm the Lord. And now I'm telling you, sell everything, come follow me. And the man wouldn't do it because he loved his money. So I don't think it's quite so much as missing Christ in the law as the confessing Jesus as Lord part. Does that make sense? That's how I see it. Uh, says, Sin was the problem, killing through the command. Yeah, very good. Dale says, so here is Paul drawing a parallel to Moses or reinterpreting Moses? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think he is, I'm trying to decide if I like the word reinterpreting. I think he is interpreting Moses through the reality of Christ coming. Uh, so kind of almost a blend maybe of those two, if that makes sense. Now, we always have to remember these things were hidden in the old covenant and now they've been revealed. So how much did the Jew understand about all this? Uh, I don't know. And, and certainly not all that we do. Paul is trying to help us see now what in the big picture, what the plan was. So he's saying now that the end, the goal has come, we've got to interpret those pe previous parts through the coming of the Messiah. Rob says, would it be fair to say he is using the law as a paradigm for the new covenant? Hmm. Uh, I need more. What, what would that mean? What would that look like? The law as a paradigm? Paradigm being like a model? I, I, no, if that's what you mean, uh, I would say no. Um, the law was setting up for the new covenant by exposing and revealing the sin of those under the old covenant, saying you, um, that's what we saw in chapter 3 and chapter 5, right? The law was given to cause the Jews to, to know their sin and in chapter 5 to arouse their sin so they would see their need of a different covenant. 
So if that's what you mean by paradigm, but that's not what I think of as paradigm, um, as a preparation for and an exposing of the need for the new covenant. But I don't know that paradigm is quite the right word. And maybe, maybe we're just using that word differently. All right. Um, this is how we got to read the Old Testament. It's all preparing for Christ. It's pointing to Christ. It's prefiguring Christ, picturing Christ, and even the law. The law is not our commands, contrary to Reformed theology. The law is establishing the need for the Jews to have another means of righteousness, which is the Messiah. All right, uh, we're going to call it a day there and uh, come back tomorrow and continue working through chapter 10. Have a great one. Take care.